0: Wouldn't it be interesting to learn what a baby born now, today in our world, sees and decides as important as they watch us adults grab our phones to work and to play and to connect and to create and to entertain ourselves. My guest this week gives us a look through a baby and a child's eyes, and it is truly eye-opening. You're gonna wanna stay tuned for this one. Welcome to the Unplug and Plug-In podcast for parents, where we explore your relationship with technology, as well as how to help your child develop a healthy relationship with tech and screens, and most importantly, with you. I'm Lisa Honnold, founder and director of the Center for Online Safety, and our mission is to keep kids safe online. I'm also mom to three teens, so I'm right there in the trenches with you. Follow us now at Center for Online Safety dot com slash podcast see you there thanks for plugging in with me today friends today i'm talking with hillary wilkinson about our kids who are growing up in the digital age and some of the long-term consequences and results we're seeing welcome to the unplug and plug in show hillary hi lisa thank you so much for inviting me oh i'm so glad to talk to you I first heard Hillary speak at a Children's Screen Time Action Network event earlier this year, and I was fascinated with how she explained the smartphone's elevated status in a little one's life, starting even as babies nursing or drinking a bottle and watching mom scroll on her phone in the middle of the night, and then later how devastating it can be when the phone delivers painful messages or harmful content to them. So she'll explain how parents can help their kids develop healthy coping skills and I am excited to dive in. And first, I'd like to tell you a little more about Hillary. Hillary Wilkinson is the director of programs and podcast host at Healthy Screen Habits. She holds a master's of education and teaching credential from the University of California at Santa Barbara. Before becoming a mom, she enjoyed a career in primary education and her background in motivational research and developmentally appropriate practice led to many enjoyable years of working with the undertween set she passionately believes in the power of parent education her philosophy of approaching children with humor empathy and love are pillars upon which she parents instructs and tries to cope with life hillary i'd like to start by hearing a little more about your background what led you to your current role
1: well, thank you for that intro, Lisa. <laughs> you, you nailed it all, all of me about my past. And <laughs> and yeah, I came to this kind of niche that you and I are operating within now in this digital wellness sector when my kids, I, I felt pretty well equipped as a parent when entering into early childhood because, I mean, I'd studied that. I knew, I knew stages, ages, et cetera, et cetera. And I knew milestone markers. And really, honestly, the digital world kind of tripped me up when my kids started into asking for devices, etc. And I realized that more and more... All of the conversations that I was having with kind of my mom tribe, if you will, all started, there was this nucleus of topics and that was screen time. And that was what kind of organized, there are four of us who sit on the board of Healthy Screen Habits. And that is what really propelled us into this space was care about our own families and figuring out what was the best way to manage this digital world that our kids were growing up in as natives that we very definitely felt our digital immigrant status in. I
0: love that we have that in common. We saw a need in our own family. We worked on it, found our tribe of people, of mostly women sounds like, and for me it was moms uh, who were doing the best they could And wanted to learn new skills and how to apply what they already knew to this new environment that our kids are so much more familiar with. Yes. Tell me what you do now.
1: Oh, well, so... Prior to the pandemic, I was mostly doing a lot of uh, parent education, presentations, which I love. I love, love, love being in a room full of people and seeing faces and reactions, and that really feeds me. I'm kind of an energy person that way. And then the the pandemic hit, and the world closed, and the presentations just dropped off left and right, and it was... you know, concurrently, while the presentations were dropping off left and right, our digital usage overall globally was just soaring. And so we had more and more families reaching out to us with questions of more specific types of questions. And that was where m- my pandemic pivot was to move toward the podcast format. And that's when I started the Healthy Screen Habits podcast and have really enjoyed having the access to experts that if I were tied down by uh, geography, I don't know that I would be able to get as many fascinating people, be able to talk like you and I right now. I mean, that's, that's one of those things where we at Healthy Screen Habits really our pro-intentional use of technology. We are not anti-technology. We just think that it needs to be used with intention. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the bulk of my focus now. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: and I share that in common too. Pro-guided use, pro-screen time that works for you instead of getting used by it. Yes. Love that. So let's dive in. I know you could talk all day about this topic. And I so enjoyed your presentation. What are some of the long term consequences that you're seeing with kids growing up right now in the digital age? Tell, tell me more about this.
1: Sure, sure. It's one of my most passionate topics. Most families, when we start talking about digital wellness, the conversation starts kind of where I started in my journey, which was like in the tween years. And what I realized once I dived into this area was. Actually, what we're seeing at that point when we're looking at middle schoolers in tween years is we're seeing the results of these unintended effects of technology on early childhood. I'm talking pre-literacy, even pre-verbal communications that are happening. And the biggest problem that's happening today is there is absolutely no doubt that our younger population is living in pain. And when I'm talking about younger t- population, I'm talking about young adults on down. And Gene Twenge's research marking the correlation of the smartphone arriving on the scene in 2007 and the climb that we've seen in both the teen suicide spike as well as major depressive episodes in kids aged 12 to 17 is very noteworthy. It has not slowed down. And we have reason to believe that we need to pay even more focused attention on this. I always want to point out that, you know, the major depressive episodes are particularly troubling because there's evidence that suggests once a person lives through this type of mental health episode, it sets them up to be more vulnerable to experiencing depression later in life. And that's something that we. You know, as parents, we always want the very best. We want to set our kids up for the healthiest choices in life, the healthiest paths. And so the way that we can do that is by building relationships with our children with very secure attachment. And so secure attachment is this really special emotional bond that involves an exchange of comfort, care, and pleasure. And attachment theory is focused on long-term relationships and bonds between people, including between a parent and child. And securely attached children feel protected by their caregivers. They know they can depend on them. They're comfortable seeking them out in times of need. And... What seems to be happening in this age of digital parenting is that we're unintentionally creating attachment bonds between children and devices rather than children and caregivers. So we are actually outsourcing the relationship and it all Hold on just a second, Hillary. Sure.
0: I want you to say that again. We are outsourcing relationship. This is such a key point. You've got our attention- Okay, we're scared. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. We're, we're I'm going down the rabbit hole just a little bit, but don't worry. We're looking at the reason. We have to start with the why this is important. And now we're going to go on stepping stones down the path of how it happens. And we're going to talk about how we can avoid this as well. So it's, a, yes. I come to you with a message of hope. Okay, Absolutely. I,
0: awareness I, is the first step, right? Awareness yes. of what the problem is. And you're saying it starts okay. way before kids are in middle school going all the way back to what we're doing unintentionally.
1: So we need to start being intentional. Exactly. Exactly. This awareness building is really part of the educational process. And I believe within the bones of my being that education saves lives. And so what, what you and I are doing today and for people listening, you are saving lives. There's no doubt in my mind. All of that being said, with this outsourcing of relationships, the first step is it starts with this what's called um, implicit memory building. And so when we look at memories, we generally have two types. We have explicit memory and implicit memory. So implicit memory is sometimes called the unconscious or automatic memory, and it's the start of the sense of self. It holds the subconscious tapes or the messages that we receive and we internalize even as the very, very, very young, okay? So memories and messages that we receive prior to about three years of age get filed into this implicit memory category. And it creates the foundation in how we understand the world and how it functions. Okay. Explicit memory is normally is, is more of what we think of as memory. It's our storytelling memory. It's also called cognitive memory. It's like the recall. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know these differentials in memory because implicit memory building starts immediately. And as you know, you have had babies, um, at birth, infants really only see about eight to 10 inches. And then they, you know, developmentally, they have to learn to coordinate eye movement and see longer distances over a period of time, kind of like how they learn how to walk and talk. And that original eight to 10 inch line of sight at birth also happens to be roughly the space between the baby's face and like a classic cradled feeding position. So that maternal gaze is that first, those first implicit tapes are starting to be built. And it's the first serve and return experience that ultimately grows into conversation building. Okay. So that whole serve and return, serve and return. This reciprocal gaze combined with touch creates this flood of oxytocin and both the infant and the mom, which causes feelings of closeness and bonding and attachment. And all of these things work together to form that maternal bond. Hey friends, it's
0: Lisa popping in. Hillary is making such an important point. This idea that even as early as when babies are in their parents' arms, they're watching what we do. And uh, evolutionarily, we would be gazing at them. We would be looking at them. We would be doing this, this serve and return that Hillary is talking about. And instead, many times, we're using it to multitask in modern days, which is grabbing the phone and seeing what's new, checking email, doing some work, catching up on TikTok, whatever it is, it means that our eyes are not focused on this little human and they're noticing.
1: Okay, back to Hillary. So you're going, okay, that's wonderful, Hillary, but like, where does the tech come in? And I'll tell you, when we involve a screen, when we involve a device, we've all had this experience of talking with someone at a restaurant or dining or whatever, face-to-face, and then a phone vibrates or rings, and the person the person interrupts the conversation and looks at the phone. And immediately, the, two things happen. One, that, that connection is broken, obviously. But secondly, the moment a phone enters the picture, the implicit message is that that device is more important than the physical person right in front of you. And so when we multitask, I I am so grateful that I did not have infants during the time of cell phones because I am 100% sure I would have been doing this. But when we multitask by feeding our babies while scrolling Our infants are taking from us that this device is actually the most important thing in the room. Okay. So this is all implicit, implicit memory is starting to build. And then, so then tech is kind of taking on this being the most important thing in the room. Now we're moving into, we really have become photojournalists of our families as moms, we record and we capture everything, which is just this wonderful way to store memories, right? I mean, it's, we're so fortunate that we can, we can sit in front and just scroll through vacations and great times. The tricky part comes in this is developmentally, all of these Kodak moments are having this hand in identity formation. So kids are establishing and figuring out their own identity all the way through their growth process. And because it's, it's fun. Like I said, it's so fun to look through your old memories. But they're often reviewing social media posts or looking at their own messages on the phone. And as they do, they internalize the story of whatever the picture is saying. So the phone, in essence, is becoming this storage of self-identity. The other thing just to bear in mind whenever you're tempted to do that mom photojournalism is when we raise the phone to take a picture of our children, there's a lot loss of eye contact and the child's attention goes towards how do I look rather than the task that they were just doing. I I can like give you an example. If you notice how many times you will snap a picture and your child immediately stops whatever they're doing and runs around to see the screen instead. And so if you unpeel what's happening there, you can see it's like what you're actually doing is interrupting the process that you were excited that was happening. So I just, it's again, it's just awareness building. Just be aware of what you're doing, you know? So I've taken you from tech being the most important thing in the room, to it's also it's holding its identity for me, you know, it's holding its sense of identity. The third thing that happens is we start to use, you know, we need to encourage parents to teach emotional literacy and regulating techniques rather than just using the digital pacifier, which there is nothing easier I know of nothing that can stop a tantrum as fast as a cell phone. Increasingly, we are using mobile devices to distract. And what we're taking away from when we do that is we're teaching kids to distract rather than self-soothe. And without digital tools, kids are learning to numb their feelings by diving into this digital world, but they're not learning how to really, truly deal with big feelings. So the tech in this point has become the soother and the pacifier as well as it kind of feeds into it becoming its best playmate and entertainer. Because the real problem with tech is what it's taking from us. We've created less and less time and space that allows for boredom and creative output. And our kids are becoming more and more accustomed to having constant stimulation. And like I said, there is no greater source of stimulation and play than the screen. It is designed to be that way. There are roomfuls of programmers who are figuring out which tracks in the brain to tickle to get you to stay online the the longest. It's the digital device has become the greatest playmate and entertainer that never sleeps. And this is where kids are starting to relate to devices as their friend. So... We're moving into another zone where, as you can see, we kind of started from an infant. We're coming through early years. Now, picture our child is of the age where we're now moving into sleepovers, playdates, and any time in between. And... Julie Lithgott-Hames was Stanford University's freshman dean for over a decade. She wrote the book, How to Raise an Adult, and she uses a phrase that I love, and she calls the cell phone the world's longest umbilical cord. So we unintentionally lay the groundwork in our kids for the belief that the cell phone can protect them from harm. When we make sure they have it at all times, you know, we want to make sure they can reach us. And there's this underlying message that the world is a scary place without direct communication. So this can feed into that anxiety that we're seeing later on, you know, and so this, so we've got all of these boxes that the cell phone is ticking and now it's also become the greatest protector it's our playmate it's our protector it's a learning device it's it's what we're turning to to soothe ourselves it's become the most important thing in the room it's holding our identity and then we hit our tween years and I'm going to focus on the middle school zone, but honestly, tweens are trending more towards fifth graders as well. Mm -hmm. And developmentally, this is a time when kids of both genders are hyper aware of differences. Social vulnerability kicks in, puberty's kicking in. It's this kind of like perfect tornado of social (laughs) stuff to navigate. And this is when social media gets explored in mass cyberbullying kicks in, group texting becomes this parallel social world, and this honestly is where it all goes down. And this is when that device, which is the thing that has become the most important thing in the room, the record of achievements, identity, the holder of self-worth, the greatest source of soothing and comfort, entertainment, friend, playmate, their protector, now becomes the greatest source of pain. And because we have outsourced all of these areas of resiliency building that could have been taught along the way, our kids do not have tools put into place and they enter this cycle of vulnerability and pain. And that is what we're seeing with our unintended effects. So that was the rabbit hole. But I have really good news. (laughs)
0: Okay. (laughs) Okay. We're ready for some good news. What you just explained it makes such sense. And unknowingly, uh, we've been doing this and setting our kids up for the device as a friend or a playmate and the image holder. There's so much to what you said. I'm so excited to hear more. All right. Give us the next part.
1: Okay. Well, I got to tell you, you can break this cycle really easily. And the antidote is all through connection. It's connecting to our bodies. It's connecting to our feelings and it's connecting with each other. That's the antidote is connection. That's why I love your phrase. How do you unplug to plug in? Mm -hmm. How do you disconnect to reconnect? It's the same thing. Yours and mine message is parallel. You need to be intentional with the time you have with others. You can develop a family plan for using technology in ways that serve you. Be aware of those implicit messages you are sending your child. Narrate what you are doing on your device while you are doing it so that your child sees that this is actually a tool because we tend to look at I mean we do this all all of our life we look at a scenario and we apply our own prior knowledge well if the device has only been used by the child as a source of entertainment or a gaming device then guess what every time the kid sees you on that device do you know what they think you're doing with your time? Having they fun. Don't know <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They don't know you're setting up a doctor's appointment or coordinating a carpool or all the business of mom life. You know, they don't know that. So we have to kind of like remove the top of our heads and let our kids see our thought processes of what's happening. And even if you just say, rather than saying, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute, you can say, I'll talk to you in a minute. Right now, I have to set up with you know Casey's mom what's who's gonna pick up on Tuesday or whatever. And that way it does two things. It it teaches them to respect your interactions with your device because they recognize, like, oh, this is, you know, a communication, but also it shows them that this is a tool. It is not. It is not just a toy. It is not just for entertainment.
0: And they're not being left out of something fun. It's actually kind of boring.
1: (laughs) Getting back to the intentional time is every day, spend some time outside. Teach your children how to name their feelings. You have to name them to frame them. You have to give them a framework in which to put their feelings. Move your body. And this is... The easiest thing in the world that I tell moms to do, and that's hug your kids. Mm. To get that flood of oxytocin, you need eight, eight second hugs per day. That's research based out of Christy Kane's research in Utah. Colin Karchner popularized it, but Christy Kane is the one who came up with eight eight second hugs per day. It boosts the overall levels of oxytocin, it creates feelings of well-being, it promotes a healthy immune system. But the the overarching thing is to connect with others. You can create screen limited or screen free play groups, spend time unplugged with your family, with friends and connect connect connect.
0: I love how easy a lot of these things are and how, when you explain it to your kids, it's just like vitamins. We're going to hug this long. Like I've got uh, a middle schooler and I have to chase him out to the car to give him his hug <laughs> in the mornings before school and that's okay that's just part of our routine now it's become funny but that's yes. a non-negotiable at our house is you got to say goodbye
1: with a hug you've got to I love that yeah. I love that and that's what he'll remember you know oh yeah and it's become My- a funny thing yes <laughs> Oh it's his rite of passage as a middle schooler to do that to you, too.
0: <laughs> totally. And I'm not even in front of his friends. This is just he and I. So yeah, he's got it easy. He's got it easy. But by the time they're high schoolers, yeah, they, they're trained to, to hug, give good hugs. So Good. <laughs> this is good. This is good. I really appreciate this framework and leaving us with a sense of hope and some easy things we can do. Get that outside time. Make sure and move your body, name your feelings, name them, narrate everything that you're doing on the phone so that kids know you're not, you know, you're not out there playing games and having a
1: good time without them. This is a a tool that adults use so good. And most, most, most important healthy screen habit I could tell anybody to do is when, when you choose to, you know, introduce devices to your home, to your child, Establish a family docking station, get the screens out of the bedrooms. You must keep tech out of the bedrooms to keep them safe. Amen, predators sister. need two things. They need accessibility and vulnerability. And whether it's predators via cyberbullying, being salacious content, being anything. It's the the most important healthy screen habit you can have is family docking station other people have lock boxes or whatever but i personally i'm low tech i i keep things very as simple as i can in my house we use the the master bathroom because it's close enough it's close enough to dissuade creative teenage thinking, <laughs> which I have many stories to back up of teenagers who got very creative in the night mm-hmm. of accessing devices that were locked down. I'm using air quotes. So the master bathroom, is it, it protects my sleep, which I have gotten incredibly selfish with as I age. Funny and, how that happens, yes. Yes. And, and keeps the devices out of the children's bedroom.
0: Low tech is the way to go. There's so many kids that know to Google whatever hack to get around whatever system. And when it's old school, and you've collected the devices, and they're somewhere central where you can hear, or they're in your bedroom, or you know the place that you have decided is the safe place, there's a lot less that uh, can happen. So right, amen. I agree with you. What are you hopeful about with? online safety and and health.
1: Oh, Lisa, I have so much hope. You have no idea. I really believe that this generation, I could get, oh my gosh, you're getting me choked up. I believe this generation of kids so much that they are growing up with this technology that they are going to do such great things. I mean, we stand on the shoulders of those before us, and they are standing on titans. I mean, they are going to solve problems, Already our medical technology is exceeding things that I ever thought I'd see in my lifetime. And I mean, I just, I think this generation is our strongest yet. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: that's so good. I, I feel your emotion and I second that idea. I am in awe of what our kids' generation is doing now and will be doing soon.
1: Yes, And I- the digital space actually... Allows them a whole new area of creativity. Mm. When you harness the space and use it to drive positive growth, we've all seen, (laughs) we have all seen the negative effects and that, that is equally detrimental. But on the flip side of that, we, I mean, there is creative space that kids don't even skip a beat in turning to, in problem solving, that people of yours and mine generation, we may get there, but it'll take us a few steps. They just come going, boom. It's not even a question of how to get to that next spot. Yeah. Yeah. And what I am encouraged by as well
0: as this is that they are in touch with more emotions and willing to talk about emotions in a way that my generation didn't know how to do so
1: For sure. And understanding the importance of mental health and supporting differences in others and recognizing the beauty that comes together with an integration of all thoughts and all types of people. And together we are stronger. I think this generation is amazing. What a great way to
0: end. My (laughs) final question is always, what is one thing you'd like to unplug from right now? And what is one thing you'd like to plug into? I'd
1: love to hear your thoughts, Hillary. Oh, for sure. For sure. So my unplug, I battle (laughs) my own self with just zoning out and scrolling during times when I just maybe feel overwhelmed or I'm using it as a procrastination device. I can country living myself to death on the <laughs> on the Instagram feeds, you know. There are a thousand different estates I would like to walk through. <laughs> so so I I am looking forward to taking some unplugged time from social media. And I really want to intentionally plug into the holiday fun, just holiday connections. And that can include holiday movies mm-hmm. or creating playlists together. That's one of the best things I love to do with. I, I have teenagers, so music is a language that speaks very deeply to them. And I'll ask them, oh, guys, we're, you know, say we're going to go drive Christmas lights tonight. Can you guys make a playlist? And then it's just, it's so fun to have them have their own fingerprints on the experience. That is another great mom hack right there is get
0: them involved, speak their language. Hey, make a playlist for us as we go do this fun family thing together. Love that. We did that on a road trip this summer. My son started a playlist and all five of us contributed. I was amazed by how much of the music I didn't, I didn't know it previously, but I really liked it. Like they had yes. great taste.
1: Yes, I do. Aren't you so proud? I, I kind of am. Yes, yes, I am. You're like you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> when did I'm you friends. people get cool?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great to like your kids. It's great to like yes, your kids yes, it's the best like your kids. <laughs> All right, friends. It is time for us to unplug. Hillary, how can parents find out more about you and healthy screen habits? where should they go?
1: Oh, thank you for asking. People can always get in touch with us at healthyscreenhabits.org. And that's also the landing spot for for the Healthy Screen Habits podcast as well. You can find all things Healthy Screen Habits related on healthyscreenhabits.org as well as on Instagram or Facebook. We're at Healthy Screen Habits. Everything's under the same name. Fantastic. I knew this was
0: going to be a whirlwind of information. And I so appreciate your generosity, explaining this cycle and bringing awareness to uh, how early this elevation of screens starts. So I, I I just I love our time
1: together. Thank you so much, Hillary. Oh, I feel like if we lived closer, we'd be great friends. <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness for technology. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you.